The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Well, happy fall, everyone. My name is Dexter. Um, I've been coming to Story City for about three years. Same amount of time I've lived in L.A. Volunteer with hospitality. You may see us with these pink liners running around. Uh, It's my privilege today to read from the word of the Lord today. So I'd like to invite you all to stand up. At the end, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and I'd like to invite you all to respond with thanks be to God. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty, for everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. For we are aliens and temporary residents in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this wealth that we are providing for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you are pleased with what is right. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart, and now I have seen your people who are present here joyfully and willingly giving to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the hearts of the people and confirm their hearts toward you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build the building for which I have made provision. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so fam, how are you guys this morning? My name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Story City. It's such an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. We are excited. We're starting a new sermon series called Story City Is. Just like I talked about last week, uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about what makes Story City, Story City. And so I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, uh, today marks the official launch of Story City Granada Hills. And so, yeah, let's clap for that. A lot of time, energy, and effort has been spent. They spent the last three weeks doing practice services. Today is their launch And so uh, let's just spend a moment praying for them. Would you guys join me as we do that? Father, you are such an incredibly gracious God. Lord, we acknowledge that, uh, that we couldn't even have begun to think about planting another church in Granada Hills if it weren't for the legacy that went before the people who had made inroads into Granada Hills with First Baptist Granada, who, Lord, recognizing that Uh, They had um, come to a place where they could no longer carry on the way that you had asked them to and to so generously give their facility to us, Lord, to to be the new, uh, Lord, uh, push for your kingdom in that area. Lord, the humility, the sacrifice that it took to do that, we, we honor that and we ask that they would be honored as your name is honored in that area. Father, we thank you for those who have 
chosen to leave the comfort and security of this location to go to something new and to start something that, Lord, takes so much sacrifice and the, the, the time they've put in to, to build the team and to, to make sure that everything is set and ready for this morning. Lord, the relationship they've built with Tulsa Elementary and the school around and the neighborhood around, I pray that you would continue to build that, to earn the right to speak. I pray that you would help them and us to love our community well. Lord, to not expect something in return, to not love so that they will come to our church, but to love them because you've called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so this morning, I pray for blessing upon them. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them a good name in this community, Father. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, we, uh, again, are talking a little bit about what makes Story City, Story City. And so I want to give you a little peek behind the curtains. You might want to know that uh, when we do our uh, sermon planning, that as executive elders, we actually go away on a retreat, we fast and we pray, and we ask God, what is the theme for the year? What is it that you want to say to your people through this year? This year, the theme that we believe God gave us was aligning with God's heart for healthy living. Aligning with God's heart for healthy living. You'll hear in that as we align with what God wants, then there's health that comes out of God's heart for us. And so learning how to do that is something that takes time and practice and, and, and family around us to do this together. And so uh, our sermon calendars run from September to August. And so that's why I keep talking about we're starting stuff new. This is September, obviously. Uh, and then we write our sermons in teams. So you know, uh, we invite uh, um, many people into our sermon writing process. If you want to come and sit and do a sermon writing, you're more than welcome to come and sit with us. It's good to have different voices as we wrestle through what God's word says and we learn how to apply that to our lives. And so uh, we do those again in teams. And so we have our sermons planned out for the year. We, we work through them each week and then we present those sermons uh, across the organization. So for instance, uh, on a Tuesday, we'll come away with our points for the sermon written, and then Pastor Samir will go and he will write his sermon based on those points. I will write my sermon based on those points. And so we are saying the same thing, preaching the same message, but contextualized to our own words and to our own congregation so that it works for who we are and who, for who the city is. And so uh, then, just so you know me personally, I send my sermon out to all the elders. They get it. They get to review it firsthand. We send it to a couple pastors outside. And I also send it to two people who are not Christians who get to review it, and they look at it and give me feedback as well. So they go, I don't understand that word, or I don't understand what that means, or hey, can you help me explain this? And we do it just so that we make sure that the way that we communicate the gospel from the stage is something that everybody understands is accessible to all. So these are some of the things that go into the preaching that happens every single week. Now, um, this series, Story City Is, is going to highlight four particular things that focus and shape us as a church. And those things are that we are constantly striving to be doxological, missional, intentional, and healthy. Doxological, missional, intentional, and healthy. Now, I think it's important to mention that church, as Katrice said this morning, is not a building or organization, but people. We together collectively are the church. And so when we say Story City is, we aren't saying the organization is these things. We're saying that we hope as a people that we are leading all of us together to be missional, doxological, intentional, and healthy. 
And so today we're going to look at what doxological means, how it changes our identity, how we live, and how we see the world around us. And then we're going to walk through some steps, particularly to help us learn how do we actually live this out. And so let's start with what does doxological mean? Uh, Does this most straightforward meaning doxological just means giving praise to God? It's a big fancy Christianese word meaning give praise to God. That's literally what it's all about. Now, some of you who might come from higher liturgy churches or from some old school stuff, those of you who might be around my age, uh, might have heard of doxologies before. Doxologies are a song that is sung sometimes at the end of service, and really what it is at its heart is, uh, is praise and adoration and worship to God. And we see doxologies all throughout Scripture. Specifically, we see them in the Psalms, but they are comprised of that praise and adoration. Now, to be clear, we can't add anything to who God is. God is already perfect and complete as a being. There's nothing we can do to give God anything more, right? So then what does it mean when we're giving glory to God? It means literally as a church that we are first and foremost purposeful about acknowledging God's glory, valuing it above all things, and making it known to the people around us. That's what it means to be a doxological church. But, but it means not just giving thanks. It means like this, this heart attitude of incredible thankfulness that's expressed in praise and adoration and honor to God. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. Humanity exists to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Humanity exists to glorify God by enjoying him forever. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper writes, God created us for his glory. We see this in Isaiah 43, 6-7. It says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. God made us for his glory. He goes on to write, Therefore, because of this, it is our duty to live for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do what? Everything. You guys are on it this morning. That was quick. I like it. Some of you might have heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the first question it attempts to answer is, What is the purpose of humanity? And the answer is to glorify God. This is what they say, that man's chief end or man's purpose is to glorify God. But Piper clarifies that enjoying God is the consummation of glorifying him. He writes, we praise what we enjoy because the delight is incomplete until it's expressed in praise. If we were not allowed to speak what we value and celebrate what we love and praise what we admire, our joy would not be full. He must not only give us himself, he must also win from us the praise of our hearts. Not because he needs to shore up some weakness in himself or compensate for some deficiency, but because he loves us and seeks the fullness of our joy that can be found only in knowing and praising him, the most magnificent of all beings. Let's go back to our scripture that Dex read for us today, 1 Chronicles. And and as a bit of background to this, uh, King David, one of the most famous famous kings in all of Israel, is handing off his kingship to his son Solomon. Solomon is the son of his uh, fair rape of Bathsheba. 
And so David has had this life filled with massive triumphs, but even bigger failures. In fact, his whole heart, all he wanted to do was build a temple to God, and God says, you're not even allowed to do that. And so he's handing off not just the kingship to Solomon, but he's handing off the temple building to Solomon too. And this is the moment that we see what's happening today, this prayer that we get to. And the, and the reason he's handing off in this time, it's not even because he wanted to, it's because his other son Absalom just tried to take the kingdom by force. And I want us to remember that context as we listen to David's prayer. Because the one thing about David was his consistency with God. David always came back and brought both his failures and his successes to God. He brought it all to God and said, God, my, my sins and my victories come to you equally. In this prayer, we get to see the heart that drives everything behind what David does. So let's look again, verse 10. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. For we are aliens, not like ancient aliens, the TV show. Not that that kind of aliens, okay? Like uh, immigrants. We are immigrants and temporary residents in your presence as as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this wealth that we provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you are pleased with what is right. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart, and now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and confirm their hearts toward you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart and keep and to carry out all your, to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes and to build the building for which I have made permission, provision. Now looking at this prayer, I believe we can break it down into four sections that actually help us to live doxologically. And I'll show you the steps, and then we'll talk about how they help us. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first step. The first step is that we enjoy him by acknowledging his glory. We enjoy him by acknowledging his glory. And so the first step, the first section of this prayer is verses 10 to 13. Then David blessed the Lord on the side of all the assembly. Listen to what he's saying here. David said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. And now he gets into every superlative you could possibly imagine. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as as head over all. He is praising. He's adoring. This whole section is about him honoring God. Riches and honor come from you. You're the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand. And it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks 
and praise your glorious name. And so David begins everything by glorifying God. Now, we usually hear about God blessing us, but in this case, the word used for blessing includes praise and worship and actually includes this idea of kneeling before God. In other words, David enters this holy or sacred moment before God in sight of all the people. The truth is that Western culture, we really don't have many equivalent moments to this. It's, it's more than our moment of silence. It's more than standing for the national anthem or removing our hat for something. I'm a veteran, which means that whenever our anthem is played, you're going to find me standing uh, at attention according to military regulations. I can't help it. It still happens. And I do this out of respect for the, the fellow sailors and Marines that have passed away that I know it's a moment that is deeply personal and overwhelming to me. And yet, every time I'm at a sporting event or somewhere the anthem is played, it seems to never stop those who are laughing and buying their churros and beer. I don't blame them. It's not a sacred moment for them. It doesn't evoke images of their friends who were killed. It doesn't mean the same thing. And I get it. Only 7% of the U.S. population has ever served in the military, and that's declining every year. It's not a blame thing. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying it, it holds a different significance for me in that moment. And so I'd like you to take a quick moment and think. What is so sacred in your life that it would make you pause and give honor? In David's case, this is a profoundly sacred moment. Here he is, the most powerful king in the region, the highest authority in the land. He holds life and death in the palm of his hand over his people. And he stops to bring this moment of honor and reverence as he bows his knee to the king above all kings. And he continues by praising God and acknowledging his character and his goodness and God's reign over the heavens and the earth. Then he ends this section with verse 13. This is so powerful. And he says, therefore, whenever you see therefore, it means that because of what happened here, now we do this next thing. Therefore, he says, we give thanks and praise because you are so good, because you are incredible, because you are God over everything, because of all the superlatives. Therefore, we give thanks and praise. Opening his prayer by extolling God's worth and value and glory is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And so David uses this opening portion of his prayer. The reason he gives glory to God is to remind himself and his people who God is. That's the first section If you're taking notes today, this is our second step. We enjoy him by doing the heart work, not hard work. It is hard work, but it's heart work of recognition and confession. Recognition and confession. The truth is that all of us glorify things other than God. Right? This morning, I'm wearing two things from the LA Galaxy because I'm a huge Galaxy fan. Right? Because God loves soccer. It's proven all over the world. God even loves football except for the Green Bay Packers. Everybody else, God loves. 
And I'm just saying, growing your beard out to look like Aaron Rodgers is probably something we need to talk about, but that's okay. God still loves you too. It just shows. God accepts anybody here. But the truth is that we all extol things. We all value things. And sometimes we begin to extol things and value things so regularly that we begin to push God down because we sort of take that for granted. And and, and in giving God glory, we sort of move that down and down. And then all of a sudden Sunday comes and we're like, oh, shoot, I better bring him back to the forefront for Sunday service. And then it starts lunch and football and everything else that comes and we begin to push that back down again. And so we go back to our ways the moment that our worship services are over. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? For the second step, look at David's prayer in verse 14 to 16. This is the next section David goes on to. He says, but who am I? This is the most powerful king in the area, the wealthiest king in the area, the king that has God's heart, the king that God's word has been revealed to. And he says, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give to you as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. For we are aliens and temporary residents in your presence as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this wealth that we provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. Now, David does two things here that are crucial for setting up this next section of his prayer. And since he has already recognized who God is in the first section of his prayer, he goes on the second section by recognizing what God has done. Who God is and then what God has done. Now, what has God done according to David? Allowed them to give generously and given them everything they have. I mean, that's just a small thing. God gave us everything. But he recognized that. But David is doing more than that. He's also setting a tone. As one author writes, the terms translated aliens and strangers frequently were used of the patriarchs. They spoke of persons without property and therefore without security of their own who lived in an area only by the good graces of its citizens. Like widows and orphans, they were in need of protection. Even after possessing the land, Israel was to have this attitude about themselves. They were to keep this attitude remembering that the land belonged to the Lord. And so David is saying that everything they have, the security of a powerful kingdom, wealth, respect, honor, is all because God gave it to them, not because of something they had done on their own. But David doesn't stop there. He says they always must have this heart attitude of those who need to rely on God like a refugee would rely on those who are entering a new land. They should feel as if they only have what they have because of who God is and what he's done, even if they have everything they need or want. Family, this is why God says it's so difficult. Jesus is talking in the New Testament, says it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not picking on the wealthy. He's saying it's hard for us when we feel like we have everything we need to recognize our need of God. And David is saying this is the heart attitude we must also have. God isn't against money. He's totally fine with it. He just says always recognize that everything you have comes from me and you must have this heart attitude that pushes us back to this place and says, God, I give you praise and glory and thanks because it's all because of you. Whether we have a lot or have nothing, we are called to view ourselves as refugee immigrants, completely dependent on God and acknowledging that everything we have comes from him. For those of you taking notes today, this is step three. And how we glorify him by enjoying him. We enjoy him by giving all we are and have to him. 
We enjoy him by giving all we are and have to him. And now we get to the crux, the, the center, the heart of David's prayer. And the heart of David's prayer is verse 17. Step three is verse 17. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you are pleased with what is right. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart, and now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. That word know at the beginning of the verse is the word yada. Yada means to know by seeing or by experience. And so David is saying, I know from experiencing you, God, from seeing you work consistently and faithfully that you look at the motivations behind everything that I do. And you're pleased when those motivations are right, when I do them because I'm doing them for you, not out of how I look to other people or not out of obligation, but because I love you. Now, a quick side note here, hearts in our culture can often imply emotions, and, and it sort of limits it to that, that you put your heart into it. But really, in, the, in biblical terms, in, in Scripture, heart is so much more. Heart is whole being. It's our intellect, our thoughts, our personality, our desires. It's all of us that is made up. And so David is saying, look, everything, and yes, including our emotions, need to recognize who God is, what God has done. And now David is looking at who he is in light of who God is and what God has done. Because David has experienced God and known God because of who God is and what God's done, David can say because of that that he's given generously with an upright heart that conforms to God's standards. But even more so, David can now point to the outcome, and so can we. David doesn't just have joy. He has the legacy of obedience in the people who are following him. The people that are around him are modeling his example of what he's done, and he sees the people of Israel following God and giving joyfully and willingly to him. Now, this posture of heart, again, I'm saying heart, I mean this posture of whole being, is completely open and honest with God. Nothing is held back spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, financially, or otherwise. David has given all to God with joy and with the right motives. He was already acknowledged that everything he has is from God, including the ability to even have that right heart posture. David knows who he is in light of who God is. Do you know who you are in light of who God is this morning? For those taking notes today, this is step four, the last part of David's prayer. We enjoy him by continually directing our hearts to him. We enjoy him by continually directing our hearts to him. David's prayer concludes with verses 18 and 19. He says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, he points to the past, and now he's going to point to the future. Keep this desire forever in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and confirm their hearts toward you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build a building for which I have made provision. David has walked through who God is and what God has done. He's seen whom that has made him. Now, David addresses what comes next. He points to the future. He knows that his own heart has wandered from God in in spectacular fashion. And he knows Israel's tendency to do the same. Over and over and over, Israel has proven that they cannot keep their hearts in line with God's. And he recognizes that in himself and in them. And so he asks God, and in doing so, also reminds the people 
to keep this desire for an upright and undivided hearts in his son and in his people. Now, those who have been here a while might have recognized the four questions that we preached from the sermons in November. The four questions are, who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of who he is? And what do I do in light of who he is and what he's done? These questions help us to keep this heart perspective and, and make sure that we are not the center of our story because Jesus is the center of our story. And many of us, though, have looked at these questions backwards. And when we do, God's character and nature actually depend on our actions, and it puts us in a false understanding or a false belief of who God is. For example, if I start with what do I do? Well, I'm a pastor. Who am I? Well, if I'm a successful pastor, then I guess I'm a good person. But what happens the moment that I'm not a successful pastor? Then it becomes really unclear, doesn't it? And if it's not clear that I'm I'm a successful pastor, if I'm unsuccessful or if it's wishy-washy, then where is God or what has God done in the middle of that? Well, I don't know. If If he doesn't show up, then God, where are you? Why aren't you consistent? And if he's not consistent and he hasn't fixed it, then who is he? Well, then... This line of reasoning makes God inconsistent and unreliable. Watch what happens, though, to our understanding of God's identity and our identity when we work the questions starting with God. Who is God? God is the loving Father. He is the suffering servant and sent missionary. What has he done? He loved us so much that Jesus gave his life to glorify the Father and make way for us to become the adopted sons and daughters of God. He humiliated himself by putting on human nature in addition to his divine nature. He sent his spirit as our comforter and guide and teacher. Who are we in light of who he is and what he's done? We are the beloved. We are his children. That means Matthew 3.17 applies to us. This is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. We're the ones living under his grace and mercy and justice and love. And so what do we do? We live out our calling to glorify him by enjoying him forever. We love with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength in response to how amazing he is. We love and serve the people God has put into our lives. We help make disciples. We walk them through baptism and help them grow as apprentices to Jesus as they learn to do the same with others. Living out these questions in the right order reinforces our true biblical identity and helps us to know how to live out our calling in light of that true identity. These four steps are important, family, because they bring us back to who we were created to be. We were made in the image of God for the glory of God. We sinned. We found ourselves in treasonous rebellion against that glorious God. But God... God was not content to leave us condemned to death. The good news is that God himself came to rescue and renew all humanity through the person and work of Jesus. And so we can now live out this gospel identity and enjoy him by acknowledging his glory, by doing the heart work of recognition and confession, giving all that we are and have to him and continually directing our hearts to him because of who he is, what he's done, whom that makes us, and that we know now what we're supposed to do in response. Family, if you and I are going to understand who we are individually and who Story City is collectively, we have to be moved by this text in 1 Chronicles today. This changes everything for us. If we miss this today, we miss the very thing we're created for. We have to get this and be gotten by this today if Story City is to be used by God in the city of L.A. Amen? Let's pray.
God, you are so gracious. You are so good. I thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful to you, for your mercy when we need it. God, that you have abandoned us or forsaken us, that you have never stepped back away from us, that we cannot escape your presence. You are with us. Even when we feel far from you, you are never abandoning of us. You are our adopted father, and you are a good and holy and right father. Thank you that we can trust you, that we can stand firm in you, that we can know who we are in you and what we're supposed to do. Help us to believe that, to live that out. In the name of Jesus.